welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. This tape is produced in the spirit of Essay's 12th step to carry the message. Members of the fellowship should bear in mind Essay's 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, TV, and films in the use of this tape. Anonymity to this respect is actually the practice of genuine humility. We assure that humility, expressed by anonymity, is the greatest safeguard that SA could ever have. Good morning. My name's Marnie, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. This is a panel discussion on expectations in recovery, and we're going to go ahead and begin. Let's take a moment of silence, though, followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. For me, expectations involve what at this point in my recovery is the most dangerous S word. It's the word that gets me into more trouble at this point in my recovery. And it's not sex. It's should. For me, expectations are totally revolved around the idea of should. I grew up in a really rigid family that was chock full of shoulds. You should do this and you should do that. And people should behave a certain way. I mean, to the point literally that it was not until I entered recovery about eight years ago that my therapist had to, you know, train out of me some false thinking like, you know, people always should do whatever, X, Y, Z, and if they don't, they're horrible, terrible people. You know, I just had all of these really, really rigid expectations of how life was supposed to be. And one of those expectations was life was supposed to be perfect and I was supposed to be perfect. So I could never win, you know, because I was far from perfect and certainly beyond that, life was far from perfect. So all of my shoulds set me up for lots and lots of false expectations that made my recovery really difficult and that even today makes my recovery difficult. I couldn't help but realize um, last night as I was trying to gather some thoughts about this presentation and then this morning when I did my quiet time, that that right now at this very point in my life, I'm looking at a meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning at my workplace that is totally revolved around shoulds and expectations. And it, it's my putting my expectations and shoulds onto some of my coworkers. You know, of course, people should be on time and people should, you know, manage their work lives in a certain manner and all that kind of stuff. And of course they should, but it's not my deal. 
and I still today allow my expectation to um, get me over into other people's stuff. For me, my expectations are a whole lot about fear. My expectations and and the things that I really, truly expected about recovery that, that kept me in the beginning, I think, from making this journey was the expectation that if you knew me, you wouldn't like me, you would reject me, you would abandon me. That when I came into these rooms about seven and a half or eight years ago, as one of the only, I felt like the only recovering woman in the world, you know, in my egotism, um, that if I told my story to all the people who were there, and especially all the men that were there, number one, they would just, you know, think I was so awful on the one hand, or my other expectation was they would think, oh, well, you don't belong here. You know, you're a female, you don't belong here. And that fear and the expectation that I wouldn't be accepted, I wouldn't be cared about if if I dared to show up. I have an expectation that um, the world revolves around me. You know, that that everything that happens somehow relates to me. And that when when things don't go right, it's got to have something to do personally with me. You know, y'all may not realize it, but I'm personally responsible for the fact that it's raining and really rotten outside today. I mean, you know, I just think that, that I expect of myself that I'm supposed to be able to control all those kinds of things and to to have the world revolve in an in appropriate way and that something has everything to do with me. I had a lot of expectations about the future when I entered recovery. I I could map out how I thought it was going to go, you know. And I read some of the recovery literature about, you know, at this stage of recovery, most people are at this point, and I was sure I was going to be different. And and that my recovery plan was going to go differently than other people's had. But especially that, you know, at X stage I would be here and this stage I would be there. And it really was um, awfully disconcerting to me to, to realize now, several years down the road, that this is where I am, you know, because I had expectations that that things would be different in the future than reality has said. I had a lot of expectations about change, that first that change would be easy, you know, because I'm perfect, and and then that change wouldn't require of me what it did, that other people would change. That was really a big one. That if I would do what I should do, my expectation was that everybody else would do what they should do. I had real expectations and real fears about what it would be like to change and to live without my addiction. It was all I had ever known. It was the tool, the unhealthy tool, the false tool, but it was the thing that kept me alive that enabled me to survive the things that I had lived through. And I had a lot of expectations about, false expectations about how horrible, terrible, awful it would be to live without my addiction. And it's been really neat to have a lot of those expectations dashed. In recovery, I had expectations when I got a little bit further down the road that 
goes back to that that I would be on this linear path, you know, you do X, Y, and Z, and it's going to go very neatly from you are here and you want to be there, and, you know, this is just a straight line of how you get there. And I remember distinctly that one of my expectations in recovery was that surrender was a one-time process. I'm really kind of dumb, and, and I had this really monumental time of wrestling with my higher power and and a really incredible and powerful spiritual experience, I believe, of surrendering to the God of my understanding and making the decision of the realization of powerlessness and the decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God and had some really practical understandings about what that was going to mean in my life. And I was so ticked off that I bet it was like two days. I was right back at that same point. And I thought, wait a minute. I have been here. I have done this. Now, my expectation was I'm going to have to do this again. And recovery's taught me that um, surrender is a is a lifetime process. I had expectations that other people would understand about my recovery. And beyond understanding that they would be supportive, oh, of course, it's fine for you to go to meetings or, you know, sure, we understand those boundaries and we'll accept them or, um, you know, of, of course, Marnie, we understand that you're working your program or whatever it might be. And I had particular expectations that my spouse would understand and support my recovery and that my spouse would work on his own recovery. And today it's the false expectations about that that caused me the most difficulty in my recovery, that I have to let go of the, the expectation that that other people will do what they should do um, and that other people will do it the way I expect them to do it and on the timetable that I expect them to do it. Today, for me, expectation equals disappointment and that equals resentment and that puts me in a really bad place as far as my serenity and I know ultimately as far as my sobriety. So for me, the key to combating the false expectations is acceptance is the the real surrender and acceptance to the idea that reality is what is, that this is the way things are supposed to be at this time, in this moment, and that my task is to accept the reality, to not have expectations, to keep putting one foot in front of the other and working my own program and leaving to God the other people in my life. And then the other solution for me is gratitude. If I can stay grateful, as opposed to setting myself up for being disappointed because of my unrealistic expectations, then that helps me walk this journey one day at a time. Thanks. Good morning. My name is Kevin. I'm a recovering sex addict here in Nashville. Um, I guess I'll share you some of my experiences as far as, you know, what expectation of the whole idea of expectations are like for me. Um, that, I guess the, um, subject for the, for the meeting is false expectations, which I guess I kind of look at as saying that the flip side of it is that there are things that I can expect and that they are real expectations, true expectations. Um, and that those expectations probably to some degree are better than the things that I was expecting. 
You know, I mean, they're, they're rooted in reality. Um, there's no sense of delusion about them. They are things that are, that are positive. They affirm life. They're about really what it's about being human and living life. And, um, you know, I believe for me, like my higher power is trying to get me to understand and embrace the things that I can really expect from life and to, to give up the things that really, um, in, in essence, are not what life is about and ultimately really in a sense can, will, will kill me. So, um, um, <clears throat> as far as expectation, I was, um, I was talking with one of my sponsors the other morning doing some work on like a fifth step and, um, we were talking just kind of reminiscing on like what it was like, what we thought it would be like when we first got into this program. You know, each of us are kind of familiar with the other stories and, um, you know, I remember thinking, I mean, I, I knew I needed help. I knew I needed to find some place to go. And, um, I mean, I needed it bad, too. I mean, I was <clears throat> on the verge probably of doing uh, criminal stalking. I mean, it was it was about to cross the line, and it was very compulsive. I was very out of control, scared to death, and um, really had no idea what, sex was, what was wrong with me. I didn't know anything about sexual addiction, even though I probably had been a sex addict. Uh of it maybe two or three years old, literally, um, the way that I use my mind. But um, we were kind of laughing. I said, you know, I, I went to a meeting and um, thought, well, okay. I mean, I found it, and maybe if I go to one or two meetings a week and, you know, do a little reading, that, um, that I can expect that, you know, this behavior will subside, you know, in one sense. And because um, I didn't know what else to expect. But you talk about a false expectation. I mean, very, very... Very quickly, I'm finding that I needed absolutely to be at two to three meetings a day, five to six days a week, um, constantly. And more and more, you know, whatever I was expecting as far as what it would mean to be in recovery, those expectations being shattered. I mean, it, it took um, hustling and working constantly on my program to get it to the point just where I could probably just stay out of jail, to be honest. I mean, the compulsion was that powerful. And then, um, you know, and then eventually, you know, the things that I was expecting about the whole idea about being in recovery changed too. You know, for me at first, it was about maybe feeling better because I'd felt bad for so long. I mean, the, the, some of the other aspects of the, of the addiction that I kind of lived with uncomfortably for many years and, um, had no idea again what was wrong, but, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to feel better. I'd actually started doing some things, you know, to deal with um, myself physically to kind of help to deal with that. But, um, you know, I, I guess I, I really didn't see or understand how other components of my life would fit in. But um, it, I mean, it, it was just, it was a lot of work. And gradually, as my expectations initially each were shattered as far as what I would need to do, um, you know, it was just very interesting. And, you know, at this point, I've been, I've been in this fellowship 19 months. And um, certainly what even the whole idea of what it means for me is radically different than it was, you know, I mean, at every phase, you know, I mean, probably stage to stage. I mean, I understand more for me, more and more of what really is about and what really I can expect, you know, what are realistic expectations. But um, I guess part two of 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 what. I guess the, the, the notion of false expectation means for me is that, um, you know, I, I, um, probably one of the more insidious aspects of the disease for me is the fact that it put me so far out of touch with reality. 
you know, and I didn't understand really again. I'm just not really understanding what that means. You know, most of my acting out before, um, actually, I mean, well, most of my acting out in my life had to do with what was in my head. I mean, I didn't start, I didn't masturbate until I was 27, 28, but I was sick as hell. I mean, just to, just to be honest. And um, a lot of it had to do with ideas that I had about reality, what either to expect from reality, from my actions, or, um, you know, what you are to do, I mean, to accomplish certain things. I mean, they were really basically delusional. I mean, they had no real basis in, in how the, the, the real material world operates. And I was trying to operate from that basis. And, um, you know, growing more and more frustrated and more and more, um, despondent and hopeless and despairing because, of course, if you are trying to, you know, for me, trying to live my life based on fantasy, based on some, some idea of things that, that I should expect from what I do that weren't rooted in any kind of realistic or, you know, reality-based um, framework, it's just not going to work. And, um, you know, and the having some things maybe work, but most things overall, you know, just going more and more further and further from any, any hope of really accomplishing anything in life. Um, even <coughs> seeing myself become, in a sense, more and more inhuman um, because, you know, I, uh, I guess for me, the, um, the aspect of imagination and using it to accomplish things in the material world, um, I mean, this had a lot to do with, and, and it actually has a lot to do with how I see my program. You know, how do I orient the, the gifts that I have as a, as a human being, as a man, to deal with what is real, what is life, and that is human beings, that is how I work my job, that is how I interact with nature, how I interact with everything. I mean, the whole frame of reference was just completely skewed. And um, <clears throat> pulling it in and using that, you know, my faculties of the man as a person to deal with what is real. And in that framework, to have real expectations as far as what I can expect from that effort. You know, one of the things that I really, that um, I mean, I really just uh, am so grateful for and um, one of the things um, kind of reiterated maybe last night, one of our speakers, was that the, along, the, along the way, as far as working these steps, which to me are just a reality check, I mean, it's constantly pulling you more and more into what is real, more and more into how to use my gifts as a person in reality. But it's the fact that there are promises <coughs> that occur throughout that, and they are things that I should expect I will get. I mean, it's a realistic expectation for me to think after the third step, these are the things that will happen. I mean, that is realistic. That's what, in a sense, reality is about. After the fifth step, same thing. I can expect that. And after each of those steps, those were things that I experienced. In fact, I didn't even realize that those promises were there in the steps. I mean, I, after I would go back and relook at, you know, the third step and after the fifth step and later, all of those things in there that are supposedly things that we can expect after taking these steps, after really doing a thorough job with it, were things that I experienced. I mean, I'd be sharing in meetings, you know, well, I feel that God, after my after I did my third step, I feel that God is really there for me. He means me well. He's He really is there. He wants to take care of me. I mean, I, I didn't understand it. And then, um, actually, uh, Bill actually would say, well, yeah, you should expect that. Um that's what happens is, you know, after this point in the program. And so I feel like I just really jumped into that, you know, 
all the things that um the things that I expected that in a sense had no way of coming to pass and you know kept expecting to happen you know this kind of insane mode that um that I get into um to see that there was like another side to that you know that there is thing there are things that I can expect and that these things are things that actually instead of causing me pain and despair and sorrow are things that actually will slowly give me more and more hope more and more faith that God is there and that um he expects me to expect those good things from him you know and um so in that sense I mean I really get into it um I you know after um really seeing and I mean I you know I, I have three sponsors in this program and I need every one of them and um and each of them offer me something different you know and I and as I more and more look at the nature of of what relationship has meant or a lack of certain type of relationship with other people other humans it's like you know I can expect that as I work to work the program to connect with other people that that connection will gradually grow stronger and it will be more what it should be for me and um and I can say that that is true you know and I expect you know that if that is if those interactions are what I do that I can expect that over time I will become more and more capable of connecting with other people I mean I, I honestly believe that because honestly doing it and going about it the way that I had before with unrealistic unrealistic expectations you know, which essentially were false that I could somehow connect with others and be human, you know, doing the things that I've been doing, out of touch with reality, not, you know, any notion of what it meant to actually to do those things as a person. You know, th- those were false expectations. I mean, that there's no way in the world that anything was going to happen um, as far as what I wanted, and that and that was really to, to connect with others. You know, it just wasn't going to happen, and I worked hard at that going more and more back into that delusional thing of, you know, the fantasy and, you know, I mean, there will be times when I would, you know, be connecting with the images that I'd have in my head or an image on a page. And I mean, it's like with all my heart, I wanted it to work somehow, you know, please, you know, why won't this work? And, there, you know, there'd be even moments where, you know, there would be an expectation that it would, you know, when you know, be caught up in it. And then it always would prove false without question. And it just kept happening over and over again. But um, what I'm finding is that on the other side of it, and um, is that as I, you know, kind of work this program, I mean, this, this, this program really saved my life. I mean, I was on the verge of suicide, um, either side, either before, you know, I mean, I was compulsive with, com- have take fuck taking the consequences of, you know, my being out of control or just, you know, in despair, you know, in shame. Um, and it's like working these steps, really connecting, you know, working to connect with other people and um, has just given me a view on life I've never had. I mean, I've just never experienced, you know, the things that that I've experienced, you know, and just in the time that I've been in this program. It's just absolutely been something that, you know, I guess they're here never sufficiently grateful. There's probably no way that I could. I mean, it has really given me a life, but, and it's given me an idea of, you know, realistic expectation. I mean, I'm, I'm just really very grateful for that. So you know, I don't know if, um, if I've talked enough or not, but I'll stop talking now. Thanks.
my name's Joe, recovering sexaholic from Nashville. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to have an opportunity to uh, deal with a topic that uh, uh, one of the things I'm certain about is that probably that fear is a universal uh, uh, thing for for everyone in this fellowship. Uh, this is a program of action. This is a program where we. Uh, share our experience, strength, and hope, and uh, talk about what it was like before, uh, what happened, and and what it's like now. So I'll, I'll try to follow that framework in in uh, relating what what I can. Um, uh, I uh, one of the first phrases uh, when I came into the program that I that I really tapped into was living in the wreckage of the past and uh, the wreckage of the future. And uh, those were the only two places that I had ever lived my whole life was in one of those two domains. I had never been present my whole life. I had always been in one of those two nether regions. Uh, And uh, uh, the serenity prayer broke that down a little bit. Uh, The message of one day at a time at least presented to me where I could be uh, possibly without fear, uh, but it was um, uh, it certainly was the expectation of disaster that that drove me most of my addictive life. Funny thing is, in my work career, I uh, I uh, took a job uh, right from uh, college, worked at the same place for 26 years. Uh, started at minimum wage, and when I left that organization, um, I was in the uh, top administrative position in, in the division. Um, for 25 years, I, I just couldn't imagine that this was going to last more than another month. <laughs> you know, I just, I said, this is never going to work. You know, I, every time a problem came up, uh, uh, and I would flash back to uh, my school days when, when it seemed like that um, people were studying for exams, and I was looking at the, uh, at the, you know, the catalog to see what else I could major in because I knew that this wasn't going to work. You know, I, I just. Uh, Fear drove uh, every aspect of my life. The expectation of doom and disaster did. Um, the characteristics, the tools that I had uh, to live life with uh, were three tools that I could identify that were primary characteristics. So one was uh, a strong intellect. Uh, one was uh, a care and concern for others, a tenderheartedness at least. And uh, uh, the other was sense of humor. Uh, unfortunately, those three things actually, uh, rather than working for me, they began to be, uh, uh, they wove a very tight web so that nobody could ever really see me. They saw those things and they didn't see me. I felt like, and I was the, the most deceived uh, of anyone. I, I led a double life. Uh, certainly in a practical sense in terms of relationship with my committed uh, wife. Um, but I, uh, but I was, I deceived myself with those tools, uh, more than, than I guess I deceived anyone else. And, uh, and like I say, fear, uh, uh, fear of, of 
that if anybody really knew me, they wouldn't like me. That core fear was certainly there. The fear that I was just doomed and marked and that, and hopeless. Uh, that, that was, uh, how I lived. Uh, as I got into the program, uh, uh, I was, uh, certainly then expectations when there was, uh, my, my expectations, uh, that were companions of mine, the character defects that, uh, uh, that I, that are part of me and were part of me then certainly, uh, came to bear as I came into the fellowship. I certainly was afraid of who I might meet in the fellowship. I, when I came to my first meeting, I, I was just afraid that there would, I would meet uh, men that would take advantage of me. That was, that was the top plate. And, uh, uh, and what I found was, uh, uh, life. Uh, when I, uh, I also expected, my first expectation in, in, uh, recovery was that I expected to set the world recovery record. I was convinced that that would, would happen. Uh, I had, uh, my assessment of my problems was that I had a 5%, uh, problem that I couldn't understand and I had managed to control it but now it had gotten me in big trouble and if I could just uh get a handle on that then the other 95% of my life I you know I think I could accept and uh the I came to see that my 5% was 100% and my addictive my addictive person was pervaded every aspect of my life and drove every decision that I had ever made. Uh, everything that I had ever done was uh, uh, the career I chose, the people I surrounded myself with, uh, everything that I did, uh, the uh, the determination to have uh, dollars in my pocket so that I wouldn't miss anything was all. Uh, didn't see it then, but it was everything I did was to ensure that I could continue along the path that I was on. Um, one of the first things that the program gave me relative to fear was a very practical thing. Uh, uh, I put down the outrageous behaviors that uh, uh, that had gotten me in so much trouble, and very quickly it was hard to bear. The first time that a that a police car with a light on pulled up behind mine and it and it meant nothing. Uh that was really weird. I mean, to not be a, afraid that that I was going to be found out. Uh uh that was that was such a relief. Not getting caught, you know. So I, today, relative to acting out that's a, a blessed relief. Um the um uh, the fear that uh over time th- that i um the, uh, well i guess when i when i found myself stumbling in the program um uh, the next major fear that i can recall was that sense of being damned every time that the uh, uh the how it works was uh was read and and say you know 
rarely have we seen someone fail at this program. There are some that are constitutionally unable to being honest, and I'm going, ah, you know, this is maybe I am doomed. This is this is the final nail that is going to ensure that I will never recover. Now that I have, it's uh, now that it's obvious I'm not going to set the world recovery record. I am going to do the opposite. I'm going to go straight to the. uh, to the other side of the spectrum. So, um, uh, and I think that today, as I work my program and see uh, sometimes that it's uh, two steps forward and one step backward, uh, and I feel like that I'm uh, losing something that I've gained, then that's very disconcerting to me, and it's a fear that uh, uh, that uh, you know is, uh, I guess part of the process i um uh, i enjoy the um um the expectations that come that that i uh experience i i enjoy watching those expectations be destroyed i hate them at the time but after the fact uh then i i enjoy them one of the, one of the things that i suppose uh through the course of some years of recovery, I've been able to, uh, um, I'm married uh, now and, uh, and as my wife and I, uh, that gives me an opportunity to lay expectations on someone very close at hand, which I do quite often. And when she doesn't meet my expectations, then, uh, uh, I get angry and I want to look at expectations in terms of right or wrong, whether I had a right to expect something. And uh, and so one of the things that I have discovered is that when I talk to my sponsor, then he is not interested in fair. You know, I uh, uh, I want I so I say, well, here's the situation, and uh, uh, my my wife did this, and I expect something different than that, and, and I really feel like I'm right, and. Uh, and I don't think I owe an amends. And so as he gives me the instruction that, that you probably all know that he gives, then, you know, I think I want to play this in court. I don't want to play this in front of, you know, I could, if I was just in court in front of a judge, I could win this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm my, my sponsor, I cannot, you know, he just tells me what to do. Um well, this is not fair. So uh, uh, that's that's that uh, wanting to control everything uh, still uh, being a part of uh, my character defects. Uh, some of the things that uh, uh, that happened to me in the process certainly, uh, as I, I when I came into the program, I was so consumed in terms of. Uh, I mean, my addiction manifested itself in in a lot of time uh, spent in escape, in acting out, in cruising around for uh, hours and hours, just uh, looking for what I wanted to find, and uh, to the point where I could not stay at at work more than about an hour, and I had to get up and get in my car and go cruise the streets. Uh, so when I began uh, my sobriety uh, efforts initially then then that sense of detox was very strong 
And, uh, and as while I, I feared the very things that I hoped for, uh, at that time, uh, I don't know that I really had a vision of things being any different. Uh, uh, I just knew that I had nowhere else to go. And so, um, uh, I feared the possibility that things would change. What if I, uh, you know, I don't want to give these things up. I just have to or I'm going to die. Um, uh, what am I going to do if I'm successful? You know, uh, that was probably, that was a, one of the fears because I had no, uh, I had had no experience in what, uh, um, on where the journey might take me. I couldn't see into the future once again. Um, uh, I, uh, was afraid that, um, uh, that I would recover and my wife wouldn't. You know, then where would I be? <laughs> you know, that would be another fear that I could have. Um, but, uh, one of the things that, um, uh, that happens in the process of working the steps, uh, is that um the promises sometimes quickly sometimes slowly fill that void that that uh that the god of my use uh the god that I leaned on for all of my life when i said uh goodbye to that uh god um and sought uh the other then as the promises were revealed uh and blessings occurred then uh i had something that i that i could stand on and and i was able to see that i had uh uh something that that there was no denying there was no denying that i felt no fear when the police car pulled up behind me i i had to say by god there's one advantage that i can certainly uh uh see touch and feel right now and as my uh a, as as I was able to uh, uh, intuitively handle something that used to baffle me, I could see a difference. I could see that that there was a difference in me uh, when those uh, when the change occurred when I uh, moved from backing away from hell to reaching for what was working. I'm not sure I know when that process occurred. It, it occurred very, very slowly over time, but uh, it has occurred in uh, uh, in my life. I can certainly say that that uh, the things that I uh, fear today, um, uh, some of the well, I'll have to say, and I think hopefully, I imagine somebody can deal with this. I had a lot of fear in my acting out, and it actually became a stimulant to the acting out process. I saw situations where uh, I got a rush from the fact that I was in jeopardy or whatever. I didn't want to get caught. I didn't want to have any problems. I, I made a, went to great lengths to act out well so that I wouldn't. But there was a component in that in which fear was one way that I knew I was alive, I guess. Um, uh, I have, uh, but I had no regard for consequences. 
as I mentioned, my uh, those principal characteristics uh, uh, of I felt like on the intellect side, if I could understand it, it wouldn't hurt me. That proved not to be true. Uh, I couldn't really understand anything. Uh, the, it, the it was quite ironic that for a person who had a tender-hearted aspect. I sure wreaked a whole lot of havoc on the people that I loved. Uh, I destroyed lives, injured people, hurt people. Um, and my uh, sense of humor was a, a mask to mask a, a sense of hopelessness and depression. Through recovery, I've been able to reclaim those elements as positive aspects. Uh, I... Uh, uh, I, my, the fear that I have today of consequence is a positive fear. I am motivated by the, the solid knowledge that if I do certain things, certain other things are going to happen. Uh, I, of that, I am personally convinced. And I don't want those things to happen and they motivate me. I, nothing motivated me to stop in in my addiction, um, I am uh, so I'm, I'm thankful that I know that if I put my hand on the stovetop, I'm going to get burned. Uh, uh, I that positive fear turned in my uh, recovery effort about the time that. Uh, I had there was a fellow that was an AA guy that that said he didn't know whether this program was going to work, but it sure had screwed up his drinking. And uh, and uh, at some point, uh, working this program screwed up my acting out uh, to the point that I be- became convinced that it would never work again, that it would only lead where it was leading, and uh, and that positive motivation. Is uh, is a part of the tools that I have for recovery. As far as expectations are concerned, my expectations that uh, that the program won't work for me continue to be. I I continue to fight that battle that it won't work for me. That I'll work the steps but won't get the blessing. I still uh, battle that. Um, as time goes by, that proves to be so uh, incorrect in my own life. Uh, I needed to work this program long enough to to where um, the solutions that I saw, the changes that were that I couldn't deny in other people, I found that I couldn't deny in myself. And so I looked for those changes. And I would encourage all of you, as you struggle with false expectations and fears, uh, to do that gratitude list and to count, uh, uh, where, uh, tally those expectations that turned out to be false. Uh, and, and you'll see that, that it works if you work it. And uh, that's the message that I have to offer. Thanks. We still have some time left, so we'll be glad to entertain questions. For the purpose of the tape, I understand I need to repeat the question. So, open it to you. 
Do you have a false expectation that if you ask a question, you'll be dumb? <laughs> yes. What do I think of love addiction? You asking me or the panel? Me. Well, I'm Marnie, and I'm hugely a love addict as much as I am a sex addict. Um, to me, my sexual acting out was that desperate search for love. And I thoughtfully expected that I would never get love if I didn't give sex. I really believed that. That, that sex was what I had to give in order to make, have anybody to love me. Um, I learned that as an incest survivor in my family. I learned that through a variety of relationships that the only way I was going to be lovable was if I was overtly sexual. So to me, in my recovery today, there's not a lot of difference between my love addiction and my sex addiction. You know, I, I did love the sex. I mean, I, um, I am truly a sexaholic and the sexual acting out was a huge part for me, but it was fueled by that desperate search for love. And I expected, thankfully, it's turned out to be a false expectation that if I weren't sexual, that people wouldn't love me. And it's been so wonderful to be in, in the program and find out that's not true. And for me, it's been a real gift as a woman to be in a fellowship that still, sadly to me, but still is primarily male. At least the meetings that I go to are mostly male. Because I've learned that there can be safe men who, with whom I don't have to be sexual, I don't have to flirt, I don't have to do any of those old behaviors that I did before. And there are recovering safe men in my life that I believe today love me just because I'm a person and another struggling sexaholic. And that's been a real gift to me. It's a it's a it's a that some days some days is negative thinking and difficult to live in an expectation The question is: Is the desire that our negative thinking someday will lift is that a false expectation or a realistic expectation? I'm Kevin. I'm a criminal sex head. Um, just for me personally, that's those, I guess that whole um, area is something that's very, I mean, I have, I mean, I guess I, I kind of have a lot or think a lot about this why I work my program. I mean, and I guess in one sense, it's rooted in the fact I can expect that if I entertain the, the types of thinking and misuse of my imagination and the thoughts that I have that I will reap a certain consequence from that. I mean, and that's what has happened. I mean, um, you know, in a sense, it's not even a fact of it just necessarily even being negative. It's just the fact that it's something that is unreal or based on on, on things that are not really the way things work. Um, and that's even true um, for me with the idea of uh, the love addiction. I mean, I'm a love addict too, but um, it has to do with a misuse. Of, I mean, it's, a, it's a based on a fantasy. It's based on an idea that Something it works a way that it really doesn't work, and I I persist in orienting the way that I use my mind in that direction. And when I do that, yeah, I mean it's I can expect that I'll always get the same result. But on the other hand, 
you know, and for myself, I mean, something I really keep in my mind, you know, my higher power, when he created me, he created me with a tool, a, a capability that he intended to work another way. I mean, it's the same ability, it's the same use of my mind, but if I use it this way instead of that way, I'll get a different result from it. And so a lot of, of the way that I look at it, I mean, I mean, fantasy is, it has a lot to do with, you know, just my whole, you know, just the whole mode of, of, of how my disease works. And, um, and it, and it works, you know, it just, it, it just has the wrong things that are there in it. But if I change that, then over time, like over time it took for my, you know, for my delusion really to get to the point where it is, I can expect that it will reverse direction and that it will start. I mean, it has to. And I, I mean, I, and I think that's really, in a sense, what the steps kind of give you a taste of. You know, if I use my gifts as a person and get into that and use it in a way that, in a sense, maybe God intended, you know, as far as my perspective, I can expect the a positive result as opposed to a negative result. I mean, it's, I mean, it, it, it in a sense, you know, it, may, it only makes sense that that would be the way that it would be. And so um, I really place a lot of faith in that, you know, in, in every aspect of how kind of off track, you know, I've gotten in the different areas of my life. You know, if I, if I pull this, if I apply these principles, then over time I can expect that it will, you know, that I'll start to see another result or a positive result. So thanks. Yes. The question for the tape is, in dealing with other people, how important is it to set explicit expectations rather than just having them in your own head and not stating them? I think that, um, first of all, having having values in your in your own life setting setting values is different than setting expectations for someone else and so uh it's about how are you going to respond to circumstances and uh, uh you know if you're in a if, if you're in a position in the workaday world where uh uh it's your role to set expectations and goals for other people, uh, uh, one of the things that you learn very quickly is that you have to communicate those. Uh, they have to be agreed on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then you evaluate them based on, uh, on everyone's agreement and understanding. Well, in our everyday personal lives, we don't go through that drill. We set them in our head and then they're not met, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, um, uh, over time, uh, I went to an old time, one of the old timers meetings, uh, here. And so, you know, unfortunately, uh, the, the people with 15 plus years of sobriety are still dealing with everyday life and, and, and the drill of trying to, uh, choose to not set, uh, those expectations, uh, of others, you know, the, the, uh, uh, what is it, page, 446 of the blue book says, you know, uh, uh, acceptance is the key to all my problems today. And uh, what's the matter with me in this situation is just a tool, you know. And how frequently you employ that tool is how frequently you can avoid uh, false expectations.
Nothing. The question for the tape is dealing with expectations that other people put on us and um, making choices that maybe might put us outside of their expectations. And the specific example that she gave was if she wants to wear orange nail polish, will everybody think she's weird? And how do you deal with those kinds of expectations? I know for me that that comes back to, um, I guess, a little bit of what Joe was saying, evaluating myself, that... A huge part today of my program is really SNON type stuff. It's the codependency that I think all of us sexaholics suffer with and and several false beliefs. Number one, again, that the world revolves around me, that y'all really would give a flip if I wore orange nail polish, you know. Um, I have to remind myself of that kind of reality. Number two, that, that those aren't the kinds of things that matter. Number three, that I can ask for my needs. I can say, you know, you're reacting to me kind of, I feel like you're reacting to me kind of weird. Do you think it's because I have on this orange nail polish or that's my fear? And I can just check out with other safe recovering people what's going on and what I'm feeling and get a reality check. And when I do that time and time and time again and I find out, you know, no, he's not angry with me. He just had to go somewhere after the meeting so he didn't hear me say hi. He was leaving quickly and walked on down the steps that had nothing to do with me when I dare to say this is what I'm feeling and and people will respond to me with the truth then again that helps me lower my expectation that that people really are thinking about me as much or in the way that I think that they are yeah Yes. An expectation is a premeditated resentment. That's what he's sharing. Yes. What specific tools do we use to deal with fear? I know for me, one of them, and then I'll turn the mic over to these guys, is just walking through it, is just acknowledging to myself, I'm really feeling afraid right now. Saying that to another person, for me, I have to say that out loud to someone else, to a safe person who's proven herself or himself, you know, largely my sponsor and other people in my support network, to be safe to me, to say, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with buckets of fear at the moment, to state even beyond that what specifically I'm afraid of. I'm afraid you're not going to like me. I'm afraid I'm doing this wrong. I'm um, afraid of taking this step, whatever it is. And asking someone to walk with me through the fear. Um, 
for me getting down on my knees and surrendering the fear to say to my higher power, I am powerless over this fear. And I ask that if you choose not to take it from me, that you give me the courage to walk with you through it. Yeah, I would just echo that about walking through it again. My my uh, uh, life as an addict was one of, of running from uh, and trying to avoid discomfort of any sort, uh, physical, emotional, anything. So it was fear-based, and I uh, I chose to numb fear and, and not experience it. Uh, today, uh, you know, I accept the opportunity that it's to walk through it. Uh, can't say that I enjoy that, but, you know, that's there. Uh, it's true that fear is so tied uh, to uh, resentment that uh, I find that that going to my gratitude list is the way to break the spell of fear. Um, I guess for me, you know, the, the more I realize how um, it's really misguided, most of my emotional reactions are to life. I mean, that's really just about everything. And I do mean misguided. I mean, um, I have really no sense of what, how I should react with every emotion. And fear, to me, is just another emotion. And um, so I see for myself, I have to surrender when I'm feeling afraid. If I, I have to surrender my anger or my resentment. Because usually um, my fear, in one sense, is, is like it's nothing in a sense I should give any stock to. I mean, because it's, it's just, it, there's just no telling what's behind it. So um, I just shut it down. I mean, I surrender my fear. I'm afraid right now. I'm not sure why. And then I'll just pray until whatever triggers that subsides. And then if I, you know, I mean, once I get some relief from, again, a sense of physiological aspect of it, I can look at, okay, what's really going on here? I mean, I can do an inventory and get a, a, some perspective on it or run it by someone else in the program. And a lot of times, or what I found, you know, I, I had a real, really, uh, an intense problem with anger that I was really unaware of. And a lot of times my anger would be triggered because I was afraid about something. And then the anger was like a defense mechanism. So when I surrendered my, I mean, the, the, the not the right to be angry, but surrendered that whole reaction because, again, a lot of times it was just so wrong and just, you know, what came up was a lot of fear. So when that happened, I in one sense, was really kind of surprised because I did not realize how much fear was underneath it. But the same thing, um, to get some perspective on it, I have to surrender my response so that I can and just be neutral about whatever it is, even if you know I don't know what that you know in a sense what it what will be there once I stop that you know the actual feeling of it, and then um, then I can get some perspective on it by checking in with other people in the program. I mean, I have, like I said, three sponsors, and I, I really need them. I need to have people whose um, opinion I can use to, to get some perspective on what I react to and what I don't react to. I mean, there are things that I'm not afraid of that I should really be afraid of, you know. So, I mean, in a sense, that, that tells me what I need to think about my fear. You know, I, I really, in a sense, if I cannot feel it, if I can just stop it, I need to stop it. Because a lot of times it's just not it's just not on target, um, and then kind of slowly, you know, let God kind of 
let that capacity to really feel that emotion in a way that's uh, that is um, has some re- perspective and reality. Solely that will happen, and um, that's kind of been what my experience has been. Thanks. I think we have time for one more quick question. Yes. is about anxiety and is that different from fear or the same kind of animal in my view there are two answers to that question if I think of fear as a continuum you know and these anxious feelings are at one end and just the sheer paralyzing terror is at the other then then that's one way for me to look at it there's some things that I may feel a little anxious about and there's some things that I'm just overcome with terror about so in some ways Fear and anxiety can be the same, the same beast, the same kind of thing. The other answer though, and I'll acknowledge that. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.